to Mark again, chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, reaching, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human traditions. Word of God. titled, My Creed, My Creed. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our God. Our pastors have invited me to speak today because at times, my writings and ideas have pleased them. However, you need to understand that I speak here of my personal beliefs, not as a pastor delivering the gospel message to her congregation of believers. If there is any commonly shared truth in this message, then I have succeeded in my purpose. But I get to this truth in my own way and ask for charity if it conflicts with yours. Particularly, particularly if you sympathize with Roman Catholicism. Start, huh? <laughs> Tells you what's to come. Eh? My personal creed is borrowed from another, and it goes like this quote, I only know that I believe in God and am a follower of Jesus Christ. End quote. This statement was made by a good friend, a longtime member of this congregation, and one who, in her older years, boiled the gospel down to its essence. I too believe this, and would end my sermon now and walk off the Days? <laughs> if I had any sense. Of course I do not. So I will attempt to flesh out the doctrine a bit and give you some background. The author, as I have said, is a lifelong Christian. She was married to a minister of the word in a reformed church and raised four children. She gathered many friends about her over the years by virtue of her hospitable nature and love of vocal music. She sang in the Fort Street Chorale for many years and organized a small choir that sang at a small church in northern Michigan where she and her husband summered. Kate and I first met her and her husband when we were new at Fort Street. We attended a benefit auction for the Chorale where we won the offering of a fine dining experience at her lovely upper floor apartment in downtown Detroit. The prize was shared with three other couples also new to the church. 
members of the chorale cooked, served, and treated us to some wonderful music that evening. Time passed and this woman's husband died too soon. His wife carried on at the church, installing a peace pole in his honor in the front garden of the church house, sitting on, she, sitting, she sat on session and its committees, she attended adult education classes, and participated fully in the life of the church for many years. It was in these classes that I realized the depth of her intelligence. She spoke boldly about her beliefs and disbeliefs in some of the church doctrines that I and many others took for granted as gospel. You know, she once said that I never say the Apostles' Creed when the congregation is called on to rise and recite it. I may be speaking out of turn here, she went on, but I don't fully believe it. What? This was startling. I never thought enough about it to question, but her admission got me thinking. So let's look at what the Creed says and try to understand the sincere woman's meaning. And here, I offer my own personal view, not hers. The Apostles' Creed was written in the 5th century and is used today as a profession of faith, particularly for those seeking baptism or for the parents of baptized infants. The hallmark of this creed is the belief in the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, was born of the Virgin Mary, and etc. I accept that Jesus was a Son of God, in the sense that he was perhaps closer to God than any other human being in history. But conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin, you may make the case that the Holy Ghost, God's Spirit, was in Jesus, but it is not scientifically plausible that Mary was a virgin upon conception. Miracles do happen, but the most believable, I believe, can be attributed to Jesus' healing powers. The rest are likely human attempts to explain the mysteries of the divine existence. Yes, God exists, but I believe this without need to mythologize him or his creation. The creed continues, Jesus was crucified dead and was buried. Okay, but then he descended into hell. He was raised again on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Now, this is a statement of faith in Jesus that also cannot be proven. The first Gospel writer, Mark, did not say it. It was asserted by Matthew, Luke, and especially John, who came after Mark and so believed in Jesus that they embellished Mark's story to persuade folks of his divinity and to recruit them to discipleship after crucifixion post-Easter. All well and good. For its time, people had no other context in which to doubt the truth of the story. But today, we live in a time of more rational thought and scientific understanding. And herein lies my concern. 
There is no harm in the apostles' well-intentioned exaggeration until we realize that miraculous mythology can be and has been used to persuade vulnerable, fearful people of the man-made power and authority of a self-appointed priesthood, a hierarchical, rules-oriented, institutional church even two millennia after Jesus' death. For some, this may be a startling thing to hear. So allow me to elaborate. In the first few centuries after Jesus' death, the church was a loose amalgam of worshiping communities serving his message of love, compassion, sharing, and caring. Then, in the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Constantine found it expedient to combine his secular power with that of the Roman Church and claim divine authority to justify greater power and control. Likewise, the Roman Church developed the doctrine of Adam and Eve's original sin, which had the effect of cloaking all of humanity in darkness and convincing us of the need for divine forgiveness meted out by the Church's priesthood. I think this was another misinterpretation of the creation story intended by the church to exercise power and control. Jesus the Christ's death, resurrection, and atonement served as the theological underpinning and rationale for the priestly intercession of the papal church in our lives. This led to the implied understanding that human beings have no innate divinity, but instead are flawed sinners at birth and require God's forgiveness through Jesus' crucifixion and atonement under the supervision of the Western Roman Church. Note that the Eastern Orthodox Church interprets this differently. In the Eastern Church, salvation is achieved through mystical experience or deification, not original sin. The Western doctrine of the fall implies that because our lives are not imbued with the sacred by birth, then we can be devalued by both church and state, thus becoming expendable pawns of these twin power structures. On the contrary, if we possess divinity within us, we cannot justifiably be exploited by anyone or any institution. If the earth itself contains the light of divinity, it too must be honored and not pillaged for profit and empire building. From time immemorial, communities of people have worshipped the divine in creation. This belief has been, been, has been called many things, but the term panentheism speaks to it most clearly for me. Panentheism differs from the concept of pantheism, which means that the universe is God. God is the universe. Panentheism means God is in and above all things created. Jesus reminded us of this. He asked us to follow him in this truth and to act upon it. He said that the kingdom of God is here now, and it is in our power to behold and so to live this life, this life, abundantly in our created righteousness. 
The Western Roman Imperial Church ignores this truth. For example, recall how the 16th century Roman Church used their power to sell indulgences. An indulgence was money paid to the church by believers to buy shorter time in purgatory for the souls of their departed kin. And what was purgatory? but a man-made fantasy realm between heaven and earth, created by the church. And what is the concept of heaven for this church, but a means to justify the hell on earth that people suffer for a future reward after death? Its intent is to keep people in a place of fear and submission. On the contrary, real power rests in God alone in our belief that we can live better lives now, here on earth, by following Jesus' way, by honoring all people, all creatures, and all earth as possessing the light of divinity that God created and found to be good. This is what the early church did up until the fourth century when Emperor Constantine and the Roman church co-opted Jesus' story for selfish gain. From the time I heard my friend question the validity of the Apostles' Creed, I began to read theologians and Protestant ministers who posed unconventional, unorthodox questions. Some call them progressive Christians, when in fact, they remind us that the early church was more Christ-like than much of our Western church is today. The institutional church has been ruled for millennia by some hierarchical doctrinaires who care more for power and control than they do about enlightening their flocks and leading souls to right godlike behavior. Of course, I generalize here. And I'm here to witness that the Presbyterian Church, among others, has been a leader in recognizing the need for continuous reformation and personal awareness of the transforming power of Jesus' teaching. <coughs> Still, there is much historical evidence to support the misuse of our Christian religion in those denominations that are rock sure of their own immutable biblical interpretation. They will excommunicate or even kill you if you fail to accept or simply question their doctrines. For my friend, this has been true even if to a lesser extent in our own Presbyterian denomination's history. <clears throat> Just read Church's history of religious people like Irenaeus, Erasmus, Pelagius, Bridget of Kildare, Pierre Tillard de Chardin, and others if you doubt this. Most of us have not heard of these great religious thinkers because the Western Church has banned their writings. These are all people who thought outside the box of narrow institutional prescription. All were condemned and excommunicated from the Church because they questioned orthodoxy, doctrine, creedal law. Albert Einstein understood this when he said, great, and I quote, Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. The latter cannot understand it when a man does not thoughtlessly submit to hereditary prejudices and on, but honestly and courageously uses his intelligence." End quote. 
Our esteemed founder of the Protestant faith, Martin Luther, was drummed out of the Roman church for his dissent with the hierarchy. But it turns out that Martin himself became a rigid doctrinarian in support of his own biblical interpretation of the Apostle Paul, allowing grace justified by faith alone. He discounted works, which were an essential part of Jesus' message. Jesus viewed works, or orthopraxy, right practice, as important as right belief or orthodoxy. And even Martin persecuted those who disagreed with him on this and other points. His unorthodox reading of Paul's doctrine of grace, justified by faith alone, initiated the reformation of the Roman church. Then later, rock-sure zealots like John Calvin led the Protestants into doctrines so austere and unalterable that many dissenting individual thinkers were put to their death. The Puritans came to America to pursue these rigid strictures and fashion their own form of theological dictatorship. This led to superstitious evils which put many Salem, Massachusetts women to their fiery deaths as so-called witches. My point here is not to tear down devout individuals or these worshiping but to alert us to the danger of unthinking adherence to man-made creeds and belief systems not rooted in both faith and good sense understanding of Jesus' message. 500 years after Luther, we still suffer from the religious fallacies of my way or the highway dogmatists. God is much too large to imprison in a rigid, narrow set of beliefs, then we cannot accept any time-limited set of doctrines that define God and our response to God once and for all. Still, there are certain tenets that are immutable, and here I point again to Jesus, who taught that God is love, God forgives our deficiencies, God never leaves us. But to say that God condemns to perdition anyone who fails to recite man's doctrines is false. We are, all the given, we are all given the gift of independent thinking, and God expects us to use this faculty. To use it in conjunction with faith in the Holy Spirit and Jesus' saving grace. We all have God's divinity in our person. That's what created in his image means. What is more, all of creation is God's and has value thereby. The creatures, the earth, the very cosmos, all were created in his image. All of creation has divinity in its DNA. We cannot lose the love of God because we don't say the church's creeds. We must think for ourselves with the Holy Spirit guiding us. We must seek the truth 
and not accept the ideology that another human more credentialed than we tells us to believe, if it is not spoken with the sole intent of leading us to God through Jesus. Jesus taught this to his own uncredentialed disciples. How then should we believe otherwise? Jesus showed us the way. The priests, Pharisees, and Sadducees of Jesus' time did not have authority over individual souls. The papacy in Rome today does not have this authority. The, fundamental, the fundamentalist evangelical church in America does not have this authority. The only authority we are called to believe in is God's alone, through Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit sent to empower and encourage us. Finally, it is not easy to grasp the truth unless one honestly seeks it in listening to those who have struggled with it and found it in that struggle, whether they be inside or outside the church. The Ethiopian eunuch asked the apostle Philip, how can I understand the scripture if there is no one to explain it to me? We are called to do the same. We are called to open our eyes ears and minds to God's truth through his son Jesus and through our own hearts where God resides and waits for our return. More than this is falsehood. As I implied, as my friend implied in her simple statement of faith, her creed, remember what she said, I only know that I believe in God and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, you are the church. I am the church. We are the church. Now what more do we need to say than that? Amen.